Welcome to Better Words, a podcast for readers who want to know the stories behind the pages. We're your hosts, Caitlin and Michelle, two book nerds who bring you in-depth conversations about writing and publishing from those on the inside. Basically, we're just here to talk about books. We're so glad you're joining us. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Better Words. It's delightful to be chatting to you today, as always. It is particularly gloomy outside my window today, so a little bit of book chat will be nice to brighten things up, I think. I agree. We're actually having a bit of gloomy, not sunny spring weather here in Oz as well, so I think everyone can relate. So let's get into (laughs) our book club. Before we do, though, can I just let you know that I have totally embraced autumn over here and we even carved a pumpkin (gasps) the other day. I've always wanted to do that. I know. It doesn't look any good. It did look look good for a few days, but it started to smell and go off. So we had to to throw it out. But I've got another pumpkin that I'm going to try and carve. So I did take a photo of it. Um, I'll post it on our better words stories because we had like a candle in it and stuff and it was looking good and I'm gonna do a big pumpkin and try and do that for Saturday night Saturday being Halloween yes um and I went to M&S yesterday Marks and Spencers uh for those not in Britain um literally my favorite shop it's I don't even know how to describe it it's like oh it's like all the stuff that's in like Target and Kmart, but nicer, but then also like Woolworths, like it's, it's also like Groceries. like foods. Yes, but the food is actually, I mean, I sound very middle class when I say this, quite reasonably priced, but also like a little bit fancy. So it Sounds makes like me feel. Aldi. Oh no, it's way nicer than Aldi. Like this is like. I just meant like shopping. a combo of everything. Oh, right. Mm, no, okay. no. Because it's like proper, like I get all my clothes from M&S as well. Like oh my it's God, fancy. This is so confusing. It's so, it's like, it was not fancy. It's like reasonably priced, nice stuff. Way better quality than something like Target or Kmart. But then also like also really stylish, but then also nice food. But they call it like they have, so they have the like main department store bit and then like the food hall. Anyway, I for the the point of this story was that I feel 110% posh and fancy when I go there. And it just so happens I go there all the time because that there is one in our main town center. It used to be the street like one street away from where we lived in our flat, so I always go there. Anyway, the whole point of that story was for me to say that we went in there yesterday and they have so many like Halloween sort of inspired foods that I have decided I will probably do a little Halloween spread on Saturday night, which if you're in Britain, you'll know is also Strictly Come Dancing night, which I'm addicted to. And it's the little joys that are keeping me going, eating a lot of nice food. And look, the sun is now setting before 5pm because the clocks went back. So I've got to have little things to look forward to. And that's what my weekend is going to be like. So, I mean, nobody get too jealous over that, but (laughs) that's going to be my weekend and I'm so excited. So, yeah, that was the point of that whole story is that I don't even have to try and make anything Halloween-y because they have pre-made stuff and I can just pop it in the oven. 
So, yeah. Well, that is pretty cool. And I'm just really excited that you carved a pumpkin because I've always wanted to do that. But I've always thought that if I did, it would look like really horrible, that I would just mess it up and it would look so bad. I mean, I don't think it was the best pumpkin ever. Like, I'm not trying to say it was amazing. But also, it's just not a thing in Australia. Halloween isn't a thing. We got a little pumpkin carving kit and it's... Like, so exciting. <laughs> no, it's just it's just not a thing. And I didn't no. do anything last year. I'm not really a Halloween person, but as I say, gotta look forward to little things at the moment. And if getting excited for Halloween is one of those things, I will do it. We might even get some little lollies or sweets as British people call them um, and make sure we've got them because we live in a very suburban street now and I do think you might that get some they're probably yeah there's lots of kids in this neighborhood I mean there are other houses that are like decorated for Halloween and stuff so I think we better be prepared anyway we'll report back next week on how that goes <laughs> <laughs> Um, And until then, I'm enjoying crunching through all the fallen leaves and I'm just embracing. It is, I have like, there is a tinge of sadness because I'm like, oh my God, we're not going to be here for autumn next year. And I love autumn so much. So I'm just trying to embrace it and enjoy it. And now the book club. Yes. So this week's book club, we're chatting about the second in the Paper and Hearts Society series, Read with Pride, which is, of course, by the lovely Lucy Powery or Lucy the Reader, who is also a previous guest from, like, ages ago before any of her books were published, and now she's got two. I know. It's amazing. And, in fact, like, while I want to encourage you to go and listen to that, I also cringe to think at at what the quality was like back then. Um, We've grown a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Listen with that caveat in mind. So, yeah, it's amazing to see. And also it was another great reason to talk about this is it was Lucy's 21st birthday over the weekend. So, I mean, amazing. Two books out and she's only just turned 21. So this will be like a little... Insane. I know. Yeah. Well, she's actually, she's got the, she's written the third one in this series and she's doing the edits on it. Oh, they're just, they're delightful. And I know that we keep coming on and doing book club things where we're like, just so nice. So just nice. So nice. Such a nice fun. read. But like, that's what Which... we need. And <laughs> it's what we need. And this series um, are both so fun for readers And I know it's a little bit silly to say like, oh, this book is for readers because aren't all books for readers, but. No, it's for people like us. Yeah. It's It's for people who are obsessed with. Yeah. Book nerds or book addicts. But, you know, it's about a book club, about a group of friends who form a book club, but not even just any old book club, much more interesting than what we're doing right now, because they do all these different bookish activities, like have Alice in Wonderland tea parties and go on like little road trips in the UK to like see different sites. And in the first one, did they go to like the Bronte's houses? I don't remember. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, They went to, they went to Hayworth where the Bronte sisters lived. Oh, I'm trying to think of a few other places that they went, but I read it, you know, when we moved over here. So more than a year and a half ago, I can't quite remember, but we should say, so the first book is called the Paper and Heart Society. And then the second book 
um, is called Read with Pride. But if you see it in the bookshop, it will have the Paper and Heart Society on it as well. So it would be very clearly that. So um, the first book is all about it's not even about the formation of the book club, is it? Because the book club sort of exists as a friendship group. Yeah, a little and bit. And then someone, someone new comes yeah. to town and they become the Paper and Heart Society. Um, so the second book, I would say you probably, you, you don't necessarily need to read them in order, but it definitely, there is a follow through. Like it definitely is a series, but also like you wouldn't, miss heaps if you could only get hold of one um so we're going to talk specifically about read with pride which came out earlier this year um and we've both just read it and as you can probably tell really enjoyed it so do you want me to read the blurb because I actually have my copy of the book in front of what a good idea I don't think we've done that (laughs) in any of our other books (laughs) I know Oh, look at us slowly trying to be more professional. So Olivia is enthusiastic about another school year. Yes, really. I mean, how much does that sound like me? She has a giant to-do list, also me. Can't wait to be re- reunited with her beloved library. I, Hello, it's like this book was written about me. But when Olivia discovers that the library is making it difficult for students to withdraw LGBTQ plus books, everything is put on hold. Olivia hatches a plan to spread the love and read with pride is born, a club that will show the world why queer representation is so important. But juggling her campaign with a girlfriend and exams isn't going to be easy. Is Olivia destined to burn out before her plan has a chance to work? So yeah, that's the... That's the um, blurb. The fact that Olivia was so excited for the first day of school and had like new stationery and everything, I was reading it and I was like, oh my God, this is exactly what I was like all through high school. And then I remembered um, when I started at uni, I was the same. And I went with like a friend who I didn't go to school with. Um, We had a class together and then we walked into like the lecture hall and he was like, where are you going? And I was like, to go sit down. And he was like, loser, let's sit at the back because I just automatically went to the front row. Hi, I sit in the front row too. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just, is there anything? I was instantly, as soon as this started talking about, I was instantly back in the classroom. I was oh like, yeah, God. first day of school. When you get your new timetable and you're like, what is going to be my, you know, like what's going to be on a Monday morning first thing? What's going to be your last double on a Friday? Like exactly. Oh, it was, it was so, it took me back there. But then the, the, okay. The bad thing about this book, which isn't a bad thing at all, um, is that it also took me back to the horrendous amount of anxiety that I had around school. Oh my God, totally. Oh, I just, the, the, the. So realistic. And oh God. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is what it was like. Oh God. But it wasn't, I mean, school, school was a bit like that for me, but I definitely felt that more in university. Like I would say from about like week three onwards I just permanently felt sick in the stomach which I don't think is normal um mm. but yeah it just it like Lucy brings it so to life that I was like oh I feel a bit sick reading this <laughs> like I'm getting flashbacks yeah so yeah it definitely I was there were times though obviously as a 26 year old reading this um I was like oh Olivia what are you doing you need to yes. take care of yourself oh I was like and getting then- really worried for her Yes, and then we have to remember that 
we were the exact same way when we were like 15 and 16. So she has time to learn better. Um, Olivia has time to learn and grow and not do that anymore. (laughs) And just like we did. But yeah, oh my God, it was so realistic though. And I had kind of forgotten and reading it, I was just like, oh my God, I was thinking of, of myself, of all my friends, of my sister and all of her friends. I was just like, oh my God, the stress of high school is mental. I loved it at the time. It's just that now I'm like, whoa, wow, that was not good for your mental health. It's so much to do in one day. And then like to get all of your homework and assignments done and everything. Mm. God, don't and I didn't miss even it. have I I didn't have a social life or any extra a part-time job or anything. I didn't also didn't have a part-time job. Yeah. Um so which is what is great about this book because Olivia has all this anxiety about getting her exam results correct and all this sort of stuff but then also she is absolutely obsessed with doing the read with pride work like quite rightly she feels very Mm. passionately about it but again this is something that I've learned is that you can't just keep going on this stuff because you're passionate about it because eventually things are going to fall apart and you know people were offering to do things for her they'd be like can we do this and she'd be like oh I'll just post this I'll just and I was like oh Olivia you need to delegate like it but it (laughs) is hard to let go but yeah it definitely like even two years ago, I would, I would have been like, oh, that's exactly like me. And now I'm like, oh, you need to delegate. I know. You need to have a plan, time management. But like oh. I said, she has time to learn. But yeah, I yeah. really yeah. liked that and how, you know, because obviously we had this whole group of friends um, in the Paper and Heart Society. Um, and then with Read with Pride, we get the Read with Pride group at the school, which is a whole friends. new group of friends and lots of amazing new interesting characters and they're all recommending all these amazing books to each other it was so fun yeah I love that there's like references to books that I know Lucy will have loved and yeah. stuff like they talk about Heartstopper by Alice Oseman which obviously if you've been listening to all the episodes this series you will have heard our interview and book club on Alice Oseman and on Heartstopper particularly so I loved that um, but all the characters so so what happens is someone complains to the school about their child bringing home a queer book and the school massively overreacts and puts warning labels on all the books and says that all the children have to um, have like signed permission slips to take out queer content from the library. Not just that, literally any book from the library and then the oh, queer yeah. books are like a second uh, a second tier so there were actually yeah there was a couple of characters who said you know my parents didn't have time to read the whole form and just quickly ticked it and signed it and so then they didn't get that second tier um like privileged access. I guess access yeah yeah, yeah. so Olivia starts like donating her own books and she hides them. She has like book fairy things where she hides them all around the school. And then like, they all put a note in them, you know, to be like, so glad you found this book. Like, I hope that it helps you or whatever. Um, And people start to find them. And that's sort of how the group is formed by people Mm -hmm. picking up those books and going, wow, this is amazing. And, you know, I thought it was you who was doing it and I want to help. So yeah (laughs) yeah it's so great and yes then they have a few other different activities that they do with the campaign and there's you know 
other things that Olivia has to manage with managing her schoolwork, um, her relationship with her girlfriend, the Read with Pride campaign, Paper and Heart Society, you know, general friendship commitments. And She's incredibly busy and it yeah. made me very, very stressed how busy she was. Oh, my God. <sighs> yes. I felt a bit stressed reading it um, in, the best, in the best possible way. Like that for me is a sign that, you know, Lucy just brings all that to it life. and so real. Yeah. So real, painfully real. <laughs> um, but I, I think also what's wonderful, obviously, is it does celebrate how important diverse and representative and inclusive books are mm-hmm. um, and how important it is for young people to have access to those. Like these are the sorts of books that I think you and I probably didn't discover until our late teens, early 20s. And now, you know, we have those conversations about books. Clearly, we love doing this podcast and we talk about them and we say, you know, oh, I wish I'd had this when I was a teenager. Well, it's lovely that these books exist for teenagers now. And I think this just shows how important that is. It's just, And important to see stories that you relate to or that are about you, but also about other people and different experiences that aren't your own to you know understand and have that empathy for other humans on the planet yeah I really think that reading is like the number one way to start to understand other people and to feel empathy towards them Mm -hmm. (sighs) yeah I just wish more people would read books sort of maybe I want to say outside their comfort zone but then I realized that I don't read much fantasy or sci-fi. So that's a bit hypocritical. But just reading books about different situations, yeah, different yeah. different things that you might think, oh, that's not necessarily like you might pick the, I mean, you might pick this up and be like, I wasn't as much of a book nerd. Why would I why would I relate to any book nerds in this book? <laughs> I don't think anyone listening to this is gonna have that, but it's just because I had the book in front of me that I was like, what what example can I give right now? Yeah. Um, but it yeah, reading is just such a wonderful way to tap into what other people are going to going through, sorry, and just to grow your empathy, which I think is a conversation that we had way back in episode one with Laura Jane Williams. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah. <laughs> I think we have this any... conversation a lot. So <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any final thoughts on Read with Pride? No, not really. Just that I hadn't read a book in a little while that was so much about like book nerds that I really liked it. There are a few, you know, that are like really for the book nerds. You know, it makes me think of like the book ninja um or even like fangirl by rainbow rails like really about that sort of fangirls obviously but yeah i love those kinds of books yeah i think it is a very special book and like special shout outs for like a lot of the ukya authors who lucy's obviously enjoyed and i just think that's just really special and it is it is lovely so yeah that is our little uh, discussion on Read with Pride by Lucy Powery, the second book in the Paper and Heart Society. And I believe that the third and final book of this series, Bookishly Ever After, will be out next year. Um, So it's quite fun that we did this book 
today because we've got like a bit of a pride themed episode then because we're going to be talking about representation and inclusivity and queer stories with our guest today as well. Yes, we will. So let's get to that interview. Our guest today is an author and classically trained vocalist. She grew up in Alaska, which apparently means skiing and ice skating in PE classes. And for two girls who grew up in the tropics in Australia, that is very, very cool. She studied opera in college, which is amazing, trained at ballet and can play the clarinet, multi-talented. And if that isn't enough, she recently published her debut novel, which is being praised by many, many people um, and is up for some awards as well. So that is Cinderella is Dead and we are delighted to welcome you, Kaylin Bayron, to Better Words. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited <laughs> to be here. <laughs> yeah, it's it's absolutely wonderful and congratulations on the release of your first novel. Thank you so much. So let's start with the novel and what it's all about. Do you mind giving us a quick rundown for those who haven't yet read Cinderella is Dead? Yeah, so um, Cinderella is Dead is the story of 16-year-old Sophia Grimmins. Uh, she is a young woman living in the kingdom of Marseille. Um, and it is the place where Cinderella lived and died 200 years before. Cinderella's story has kind of become the backbone of this society, and the young women that live there are expected to to model their lives after the fabled princess. Um, and my main character, Sophia, is having none of it. She is in love with her best friend, and um, she is kind of grappling with the the weight of this very oppressive patriarchal society and um, she's looking for an out so uh, when we meet her she's preparing to attend her very first ball uh, and the ball is now an annual event and it's mandatory and so she goes up to the palace and she makes some choices there that kind of put her on a collision course with Mersai's ruler and lead her to some devastating truths about the kingdom that she lives in and about Cinderella, about the fairy godmother, about Prince Charming. She uncovers some things that kind of rock her entire existence. Um, and at its, at its core, it is a story about, about hope, about empowerment, and... It's also a story that kind of tells queer Black girls that they are enough just as they are. Yeah, absolutely, which is the, the most important part of it. And we want to expand on that a little bit later. So can you tell us a little bit about the inspiration for the novel? Were you always really interested in that original Cinderella story or was it something else? Yeah, so it's a combination of things. Um, I think I, I did love Cinderella as a kid. I loved all fairy tales as a kid. I was super obsessed. So I grew up in like the late 80s and early 90s, and that was kind of that peak princess time for the Disney princess versions of things. Um, and so absolutely obsessed with Cinderella and Snow White and Sleeping Beauty. But I never saw anyone who looked like me in any of those stories. Um, I also had um, a collected, I had a book that was like a collection of fairy tales, um, different versions of fairy tales. So kind of like versions that, that are closer to um, uh, their original kind of 
iterations. And so, and I, and I loved, I love that book, but I just, there was never anybody who looked like me. And so when I sat down to do this retelling, I really wanted to center a black girl and I wanted it to be, you know, a book that the younger version of myself uh, really wanted to, you know, would have loved to see. And so, yeah, that was kind of my inspiration for that. It was fairy tales, but also that feeling of, of kind of, being on the outside looking in uh, when it came to those fairy tales. Yeah, that's amazing. So you always knew that you wanted it to be a fairy tale retelling. Yeah, I was um, I was watching, um, there's this show here called Once Upon a Time. Um, I love that you know? show. <laughs> okay, yeah, okay. And so I was watching a lot of that, and that show is bananas. Like, that show is all over the place. Yeah. But I love it because it kind of made you look at these these um, characters that you think you know so well in a totally different light. Also, my favorite retelling of all time is Wicked. More so the stage production than the book, but I mean, the book's fine, but... um, That's right. We're musical people as well. Yeah, I'm a musical (laughs) theater fan. So, um, and I was also super obsessed with Wizard of Oz as a kid. So, um, after reading Wicked, I could never look at the Wizard of Oz the same way again. I could never not think of... The Wicked Witch in this other in this other way, and that's kind of what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted it to be a retelling, but I was I was looking for a way in that was different. And so I said, okay, well, what if we set it much, much, much later and kind of look at the what happens after the happily ever after, and then also kind of to deconstruct fairy tales as a tool of oppressive kind of societal norms. Um, I wanted to kind of do all of that in the same story and so now we have Cinderella's dead so (laughs) it worked out (laughs) I would say it definitely worked out (laughs) yeah love those inspirations as well (laughs) yeah absolutely I remember the first time I watched Wicked the stage production and I just kept thinking about how incredible that storyline is and I did try to read the book but I just couldn't It, it just wasn't the same I I think that the stage production did such a good job of kind of condensing everything and they did change the way things kind of happen, but it worked well, which is, I guess, why I prefer it. But yeah. So speaking about fairy tales, obviously these have lasted for centuries. We've told them in many different forms. What do you think it is about these stories that kept them alive for so long and has made them such a, I guess, an intrinsic part of growing up for most people? Yeah, um, that's a really good question. (laughs) You know, I think it's a, I think it's a combination of things. I think that fairy tales are an escape. I think at its core, it's kind of fun. It's, um, it's an escape. But if you go back and you look at you know, earlier versions of these stories. They're not fun. They're, they're gruesome. They are violent. And we see the same things repeated over and over. And it's, and it's usually villainous women. And it's usually, you know, damsels in distress. And then it's kind of, you know, men coming to save the day. And um, sometimes that's okay. But if that's the only story that you ever hear, if that's the only way that the story beats ever happen, it makes you kind of wonder what what's really going on here. For me, it feels like fairy tales are a tool and they can be used uh, to teach lessons about, you know, there's a lot of religion in early, early versions of Cinderella, a lot of uh, early versions of uh, Sleeping Beauty and Snow White. Um, but I think that they can also be used to kind of 
further a certain narrative, which is that women have a certain place and um, are certain things are, are expected of them. And, and it's kind of what I tried to echo in Cinderella is Dead with the original Cinderella story. It's kind of like, here's this story and you should really look at it and maybe try to do the same thing. I think that's why they stick around. I think it's a combination of that, that magic escapism, but I think it's also because we live in a very patriarchal society um, and these stories fit right in with that narrative. So of course they're kind of championed and we see them redone, but they're not really redone. It's still the same kind of stories. So yeah, so I think there's, there's many reasons and not all of them are, are great. Yeah, that's probably true. Why do you think some of these retellings and changing these original core stories that we all know so well is so important? I have, I'm kind of torn about that, actually, because I think that we could use some new stories. I think that we could start a whole new canon, um, especially in children's literature. And I think we have. I think we've started to see that. But I think that giving access to these stories um, to, to readers who have not had a chance to see themselves in those roles, I think is also important. And Cinderella is Dead is kind of a remix, I guess, more than a retelling because it's Sophia is not just um, a black Cinderella. She's not a Cinderella character at all. But um, I think having her in that story and kind of challenging those fairy tale tropes is, um, is important um, because we have not had those windows and mirrors uh, as as black people. Um, I did not have that. Um, and I wanted so badly to see like a black girl in a ball gown on the cover of a book. So I think it's about letting people have their turn, letting people, you know, because old things are made new again when it's, a, you know, a totally new um, a totally new set of people telling the stories. And even if it's a retelling, it will be made new again um, if we give it to someone else, especially, you know, writers who have been historically marginalized, um, especially in publishing. So I think it's about giving people their fair shot. And I also think it's about, I, I kind of feel like there've been so many Cinderella retellings and I want to do one too. Like I wanted to, I wanted that opportunity to do that um, myself. So yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Everyone gets a turn and it's your turn now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> While I was reading Cinderella is Dead, I actually was like a little bit shocked at some of the behavior in the novel because I just hadn't read anything in such a long time that was so patriarchal and the women in the um, kingdom are like, literally just property and any man has the ability to exile them or make them forfeit and particularly that scene where um the store owner um uh, right before the ball i think it is um threatens to exile sophia and he doesn't even know her mm -hmm. did you find some of that like difficult to write yeah um especially the scenes where we see domestic abuse um, where, and even when it's implied, when it's not, you know, on the page, um, that was definitely difficult. But um, something that I did purposely was I went, and, and I have my own kind of, um, I, I know what my people have been through here, you know, um, and so I don't, most of the things that I put in that book are things that are, that have happened. So it feels, it feels very, when I was writing it, it feels very, and just kind of in conversations with my editor, you know, it feels overwhelming and it feels like, oh, maybe, maybe this is too much, 
but you know, it's kind of like, well, that really happened that there, there was a point in time where someone could say, you don't belong here. You're gone. You're, you know, they could be done with you if that's what they chose to do. Um, and not having that kind of agency is especially for women. Um, and especially for black women, we have not always been in charge of, um, and we're, and it's still a fight. Um, we have not been in charge of our own lives. We, um, that has been, uh, that was taken from us, from my ancestors. Um, and so it was very important to me to include those things and to be very blunt about what that looks like and about how even when the people in this society saw what was going on, they said, oh man, that's too bad. But they allowed it to happen anyways. They didn't do anything about it. It's um, that kind of complicit behavior makes things worse. So yeah, so those, those scenes were definitely hard to write, um, but it feels authentic to me. It feels like a real world, real life experience. And I didn't want to shy away from that. So I, after kind of, you know, talking it over with my editor, it was like, okay, we're going to, we're going to put this here and, you know, readers will make of it what they will. You're right though. I think that is part of why I found it like a little bit shocking, like at first sort of read through and then you think, oh God, that absolutely happened. It's how far is it from what's happened now or recently or mm -hmm. you know, even in recent history, like things kind of takes you a second and then you go, oh God, it hasn't been that long since this was really happening. Right. And and that's kind of, that's the other part of it too, is there are some of these things that I included that I know are, are historically accurate, um, but there are also things that are happening right now that, you know, are a mess. Um, and we still have these, this very, you know, here we... It, it's it's a it's still a very patriarchal society and i'm in texas and it's texas um and so <laughs> it's you know it and and it's very and it depends you know it's like a regional thing like where you know it it's worse in some places and it's better in others but it's kind of like you know what do you do and i think that that you have to tell the truth um i think you have to put it on the page and i think that you have to be unapologetic in kind of showing it because that's the only way uh that we can fix it so you got to bring it to light do you think that putting it in sort of a fantasy or imagined setting like that rather than a contemporary novel, something like The Hate You Give, for example, do you think that maybe makes that more accessible to readers who potentially wouldn't go for those issues-heavy books that are set in a contemporary space? Absolutely. And I think that the the goal is to reach readers and kind of meet them where they're at, you know, and, and there are some people who love fantasy and there are people who love contemporary. And so I guess my, my goal is to allow readers to have a choice. So if you want to pick up a fantasy that is, you know, maybe tackling some of these, these heavier issues, but kind of wrapped in this story, that's also, I think it's kind of a fun, but very dark adventure, which is kind of right up my alley, because I am a horror fan, I am a thriller fan. So it's, yeah, I think it's just about kind of addressing these issues from different angles and, and for different readers, because we all, yeah, we all have things that we like and dislike. And, you know, if you can, if you can find another angle here with this type of story, then I think that I've, then I think I've, I've done my job. Yeah, no, I think that's really wonderful because some people, some people, I mean, for Caitlin and I, we love, we love diving into a book that is 
very character driven and very issues based but for some people that's like their worst nightmares so if they can start thinking about it especially I think as white audiences to access spaces that haven't been quite as diverse in the past like I think it's really good to open them up to thinking about these things and starting to make changes in their reading habits and stuff if if that's I guess the right way to put it. Yes. Yeah, I agree. So obviously you've mentioned Cinderella's Dead is your debut novel. Do you mind taking us through your journey to publication a little bit? Because it's always fascinating to ask writers this because it is always, always different. So tell us how you got your book deal. Ooh. Um, so I, oh gosh. Okay. So Cinderella is Dead is my, is my debut, but I, it was, let's see, it was the fourth novel that I'd written. And um, I did like some Peter Pan retellings. Um, I did like a horror novel and nothing really happened with those. And it, and I'm, and that's okay because to me, they were, now that I look back on it, I'm like, yeah, those were trash. So <laughs> I'm glad they're not, you know, not out there. But, um, so I wrote Cinderella's Dead in 2016. That's when I started drafting it. And I, let's see, I, it took me about eight months to draft it. And I started querying in at the end of 2016. And it took me probably six months to get an agent. Um, and there were probably, ooh, there were probably 60-ish rejections um there uh before I got my agent six zero um, yeah yeah which is not terrible which is not too bad at all um I was you know I was I've always been told like you gotta you gotta get a hundred rejections before you even start thinking about you know uh changing the story or or hanging it up or whatever so I yeah. was like yeah okay 60 and then we did some pretty big revisions on the first draft. It just, it was a really different story. Um, well, the, the story was, was fairly the same, but the characters, like Constance was like more of a grandmother figure um, in that very first draft. She was much oh, older yeah. and she was much more of like a mentor um, to Sophia. Compared to like a friend. Right. Um, and so she, um, and then also we were much closer in time in that first draft to the events of Cinderella. Like it was Cinderella's story was still in the living memory of the people that lived there in that first draft. So all of that kind of changed. And then let's see, what did we do? We went on sub at the end of 2017. And I think we went out with Cinderella's Dead to about eight editors and we got six rejections and so I was kind of like mm, I don't know what I'm supposed to do now but my agent was like look we're gonna do another we'll do another round of um revisions and we'll go back out and it'll be okay and um so we did we really took our time like it it was probably almost a year before like we went back out with it and then in 2018 is when we got a bite from Bloomsbury. I had to change the story from third person to first person, which was, I, I like, that's one of the things now when I'm drafting, it's like, is this the right point of view? Is this the right, you know, is this the right thing? Because I never want to have to do that again. I never want to. That sounds absolutely a mess. 
Um, and so, yeah. And then let's see, I, I got a two book deal there with Bloomsbury, um, in early 2019, then Cinderella. Yeah. And then Cinderella came out, um, this past summer and yeah, that's, that's the rest is history. Yeah. Awesome. I do just love hearing these stories because they're always so different and, Every time I'm still surprised by how long the process is, even mm-hmm. though I should absolutely know by now. Uh, and you work in publishing. Yeah, I do. So I shouldn't be surprised. But... Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest things that I, like, you know, people ask me, like, you know, what advice do you have or whatever, you know, for writers. But I'm just like, always be working on the next thing because the timelines here are crazy long like you know you're looking at book deals now and things are coming out like I've seen announcements for 2022 2023 like we're talking years away so yeah so the the time publishing moves at a glacial pace like that's just how it is and you just have to kind of like roll with it and also obviously from what you've just said to be prepared to do a lot of work do a lot of revising and continually refining your story until it is the best it possibly can be as well yes and I and I know that it's difficult but sometimes you know sometimes that means putting things aside like I like I said I wrote those other novels first and I think I you know could have gone back and maybe tried to but it was kind of like no we have to move on we have to do something else because this is not working and those earlier novels I think I think it was me trying to not, I didn't, I wasn't telling the story that I really wanted to tell. I was telling a story that I thought people wanted to hear. And that is much different. Um, when I sat down to write Cinderella's Dead, I knew that it was a book for me. It was a book for the younger version of myself. And so it clicked when I started writing that. Yeah, publishing is is fun. It's like the highs are so high and the lows can be so low and the rejection doesn't stop just because you get a deal. Um, so yeah, but it's, and that all sounds like, terrible but I but I love it I wouldn't I wouldn't want to do anything else no I totally understand it's um it's funny isn't it because it does you when you say it out loud you're like it sounds horrible but then when you know in your heart of hearts that you wouldn't want to be doing anything else then you know you're doing it for the right reasons right and it's absolutely okay and the people who would be doing it for the wrong reasons if they couldn't take that then you know that's how you sort of weed out the people who just are in it to be right. or make a lot of money, which is not something that happens in publishing very right. often. Yeah, like don't get into this if you are trying to get rich. It's not going to work. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. probably not going to work. Sorry. On your website, you say that your hope um, in writing is to provide an opportunity for readers to see themselves reflected in your work and see that they can be the heroes of their own stories. Do you see yourself doing that? Do you think that you've accomplished that? I hope so. I, and, and something that I, that I found is that my, my interactions with readers have kind of affirmed that, that way of thinking for me. It's like, if I can just, you know, because it's really easy to get caught up. It's easy to get caught up in, did I make this list? Did I sell this many copies? Did I, you know, am I on social media all the time? Am I doing, you know, it can, it can be really easy to get caught up, but I think what keeps me kind of grounded are the readers because they reach out and they say, I've never seen a queer black girl as the main character in a story who has a queer black love interest. I, I've, I haven't seen it. 
and in fantasy. And I, and I saw it in your book. And, and then I have readers, you know, come to me and say, this book helped me come out to my family. This book helped me talk to my mom. You know, I've had readers, I had, you know, uh, without like giving specifics, but like I had a reader contact me and tell me that she wanted to come out to her mom and wasn't feeling comfortable. And so they decided to buddy read Cinderella's Dead. And during that process, they were able to talk and she was able to come out to her mom. And I, and if that's the only thing that I ever do in my life, like if that is the only thing that Cinderella is dead, that me writing this book ever accomplishes, um, that's enough. That's amazing. That's incredible. Um, And I mean, probably worth more to you, I would say, than any amount of money (laughs) anyone could give you for the book. So absolutely. That's absolutely amazing. That's all that like gives me goosebumps that's so yeah me too yeah yeah Yeah. like how did you feel when you read that message I cried like a like the ugliest ugly cry ever and I still like I'm talking about it and I'm trying just to like not I'm not gonna cry yeah (laughs) but yeah I mean it just you know you write it you write a story and you put it out there and you don't know you have no idea what's really gonna happen I I just feel incredibly um humbled and in and incredibly grateful that this story um, has been able to to kind of it, that it resonates with people and that it, that it seems to be really kind of it is it, it has helped people who've reached out to me and said this helped me and I'm just like I you know I couldn't ask for anything more than that so yeah that's amazing um, so among you know we mentioned before that it is being considered for some awards and one of those is the books in my bag award here in the uk the books my bag awards uh, i have to say right now that i have done ads for them in the past i really i love working with them because these awards are chosen by booksellers and then voted on by the public so that's quite like a special award there how do you feel knowing that your book has resonated so well with readers. I mean, we literally, we just talked about that, but in terms of getting an award and being recognized for that on on your debut, when these booksellers are reading so many amazing books, how does that feel? It's surreal. And it's, I'm, I'm incredibly honored. Um, But I, so booksellers are the, the lifeblood of the, of publishing. And I, um, the booksellers like you, you've got a hit. (laughs) (laughs) So like really early on um, when Cinderella is dead was kind of going out um, before it was, before um, it was published, um, you know, booksellers were getting early copies and they were, you know, they were the first people to kind of reach out to me. And, and, you know, I keep their, I keep, I have on my wall, their little, you know, blurbs that they sent to me um, that, you know, because they, and they read everything. Like you said, these, these people read for a living, like that's what they do. And they, for them to kind of say, this is special um, makes me feel I just, I don't even really have words. It's just, it's very surreal and it's very, I'm just so grateful and I'm incredibly honored. And I just, I'm, I'm excited too, because it's, you know, it's a, it's, 
it's just an exciting kind of time. And yeah, this is my debut. And um, like I said, you write this, you write these stories and you put them out there and you don't know exactly what's going to happen. And you just, you hope for the best. Yeah. And it's, it's been, it's been really amazing. It just must be so exciting as well to know that it's um, resonating with people in different places around the world too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, good luck on, on that award. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so I believe you are currently working on your second novel and you mentioned before that you actually got a two book deal for Bloomsbury. So are you able to tell us anything about what's coming next? Yeah. So let's see. So, so um, it's a YA uh, contemporary fantasy and that comes out next year, um, July 6th. It is called This Poisoned Heart. It's the story of 16-year-old Briseis Green. She is a young girl who uh, was born with the ability to manipulate plants so she can grow them. She walks down the street. They pay attention to her. The grass is like literally greener wherever she's at. Um, and so cool. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's kind of struggling to keep this power um, in check. And her family is struggling financially um, because their, bro- their Brooklyn neighborhood is being gentrified. And so... Um, uh, they run a small flower shop called Breeze. Um, and in the middle of all of this kind of chaos, um, she inherits an, an estate uh, from a long lost relative um, in upstate New York. So when she, and it comes with a very strange set of instructions, this house. Um, and so they make a trip up there and this kind of puts her on a path to uncovering some her family's like unique lineage and um, a secret that um, is so closely guarded that its revelation might require the intervention of the gods themselves. That's amazing. And I have to say your elevator pitch is already pretty good considering it doesn't come out for a year. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. We're still working, but it's, yeah, that is, that is the story. I'm very, very excited. Yeah, that's incredible. Oh, yay. <laughs> I, always, I always feel bad asking people, like, what's your second novel when we're here to celebrate your first novel? But <laughs> like you said, you've got to have something to keep working on while publishing just slowly moves yes. along. Yeah, and it's funny because, like, by the time we're here kind of talking about Cinderella, I have moved on to the next thing. I mean, I, I always have Cinderella. I love Cinderella's Dead. That's you know, my debut, but like, yeah, we're, we're kind of keeping it, keeping it moving because yeah, yeah, that, that publishing pace is a slow one. So yeah. And Cinderella is dead is published. You can't change it now. No going back now. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) exactly. Um, So to finish up with, to finish on a very fun topic, um, you mentioned before musicals. Uh, we love musicals. And so, of course, we had to ask you about that. What shows are you obsessed with? What are your favorites? Obviously, Wicked, but what else do you love? Um, Town is my, like, my obsession. Like, I just love it so much. Um, but also, oh my gosh, there's so many. Hamilton, obviously. Oh, yeah. Um what else? Beetlejuice. I I know that that is going to be gone by like the time that I, you know, they, I think it started closing because they were doing like the greatest showman or something was taking over, but eh, whatever. I, I really wanted to see Beetlejuice. What else? Oh my gosh. Sweeney Todd. Sweeney Todd is one of my all time favorites. It's the very first show I ever saw. Um, so I am, 
Uh, I'm super obsessed with that. I have all of those, those soundtracks and I just love musicals in general. Like I'm just, I just like in my heart, I'm like a, like I want to be on Broadway. So that's my, that's my dream. Um, (laughs) But I'm kind of doing something else right now. I'm kind of a different dream. So yeah. (laughs) Yeah. um, I mean, we didn't talk that much about your performing arts background so tell us a little bit about that and obviously that feeds into your love of musicals as well yeah I um so I just I always have loved music I studied music in college I studied opera and I just I just love singing I love live theater and so opera seemed like you know I could do both at the same time um and I, I don't know, you know, it's, I think that it still might be something um, as far as musical theater is concerned that I might pursue because I love villains. Like somebody let me play Ursula in The Little Mermaid or something. Like I will do that. No problem. Like don't even have to ask. I'm ready. Like I'm ready to go. So yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I just love musicals and um, music in general. So, so yeah. It was a kind of like a, like a you know a two dreams thing that like you never knew to pursue that or writing so I I think that I always wanted to tell stories I just wasn't sure like what medium I wanted to do pursuing music was definitely a step towards that I also studied ballet for years and years and years um and I think dance is another you know storytelling kind of expression uh, uh, form of expression um and so yeah it was kind of all of these things together and then writing um, you know, has always been there as well. So yeah, this happens, you know, writing is the thing that I'm doing now. It's the thing I love to do, but I, I also love music and I can, I think I could probably swing like writing books and pursuing music in some kind of way. So yeah, so I'm, I'm, it's never too late. (laughs) Like, shoot for the moon you know and you know what I just thought maybe you could write a musical I mean yeah I listen that could be if, something <laughs> <laughs> look that might work and I mean Cinderella is that is very like you know visual and who knows you know that might that might work <laughs> yeah. I, I think I think you need to make this happen and yeah. write yourself into it as well um, right I need to pull, like a Lin-Manuel Miranda. Yeah, I need to like exactly. write it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, you get to play whoever you want. Yeah. yeah. 100%. Yeah. Oh, I love that so much. Excellent. Um, so that's about it. Where can people find you online and follow you? I am at Kaylin Bayron on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, and you can find me at my website, which is www.kaylinbayron.com. Um, and I'm on Instagram more than Twitter. Uh, also, like on my website, there is a contact form there. I take Um, like snail mail there's an address there you can write to me I will write you back no matter where you are in the world and you can also sign up for a book plate on my website I send those out to anybody who wants one so um the directions for that are there oh I love that that is brilliant (laughs) well people definitely have to get on that thank you so much and the book of course is out in all bookstores now Thank you for listening to Better Words. You can chat to us on Instagram at betterwordspod. And follow me, Michelle, at Unfinished Bookshelf. And me, Caitlin, at Just a Bookish Babe. 
If you liked this episode, please share it with a book-loving friend and leave a rating or review. Thank you.